Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And our guest today is both a mystic and a scholar, and she is one smart lady. Her name is Dr. Julia Asante. Julia has been an active professional psychic and medium with four decades of experience with the afterlife. In fact, she's been tested at Columbia University on telepathy and remote viewing, and her scores were off the charts. She lectures and teaches workshops in the U.S. and Europe and has coached physicists, medical professionals, entertainers, and athletes to develop specific career-related psychic skills. Academically, Julia is a specialist of the ancient Near East and has taught at several prominent universities. She's also an ordained minister and the author of the international bestseller, The Last Frontier, Exploring the Afterlife and Transforming Our Fear of Death. Her website is juliaasante.com, and as always, you can go to wedontdieradio.com, see a picture of Julia, and I'll have all the links to both her website and to her Facebook and everything else she's got. So, Julia Asante, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thank you, Sandra. Oh, you're be here. welcome. Yeah, it's always fun. And as our listeners know, I'm sitting at my home in Massachusetts right now, and would you mind telling everybody where you live? Well, <laughs> more or less, because <laughs> you're on less. the move. I live in Europe, and um, but I am in three different places in Europe all the time. Wow, two different countries, and I also have a home in New York, so I work in the states and live in the states too, busy. as much as I can. You are a busy, busy woman. Yeah, when yeah. I when I first um, saw that I was interviewing you, I thought I'd, you know, before I started researching you, I didn't know if I'd hear a German accent. No, I can do that if you want. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you must speak a couple of languages too, I would oh, imagine. Yeah. yeah, and I studied uh, two, three dead languages. One of my favorite being Sumerian, which is the first known written language. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. Let's see, we have a cuneiform text of Sumerian about 3600 BC. Wow, Sumerian. Very much older than the Bible. Wow. You are one smart cookie. That's why I said that in the beginning. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little well, bit. We'll of... see. Maybe you'll change your mind by the end of the I year. don't think so. You're very easy to talk to and easy to listen to. So how about a little bit about you? Because you just don't want, well, you're, we're all born phenomenal beings. But how in the world did you get to be uh, where you are today? You want to tell any of the stories? Um well, as I as I often mention, that a, a great reason uh, many people grow up more psychic than other, others because everyone is, or more apparently psychic, let's say, is is often from a stressful childhood. Hmm. Um, the need to control your aura, to disappear, to become invisible is usually the the, the child's chief offense defense system. But also uh, the inwardness, the praying for help, um, the watchfulness, which which uh, creates tremendous telepathic abilities. You know, we have to read your parents' mind. So all of these things really propel uh, psychic abilities, keep them intact, and develop them. Now it's changing. It, it all, by the way, it's also true with children of artists who are used to looking inward, finding deeper meaning, whatever whatever connects you to your inner voice 
But now what's happening, I think, is um, this change in consciousness, which is uh, certainly far more obvious in the United States than anywhere else, has to do with our, our reading of finer and finer electronic impulses, which we're surrounded by all day long. Right. And everything, ultimately, is an electronic impulse. All your perception, all physical reality is all about that. So the, the more we're able to read them, and, it, and the more deeply we can read them, and the more we can read the finest of these, the more we can see and experience and perceive things that from, uh, from before were not possible. It's going to be a mind-blowing conversation. I have a funny feeling because <laughs> you're, in, you're, you've learned so much and you share so much. Um, so over since 1977, I read that you've um, been active as a psychic and uh, spiritual medium. Is that correct? Yes, in the old days when you were afraid to be put in jail for it. How did you um, break out into that? Because uh, that's that. It, you know, I remember um, just when I was growing up. I mean, you just that was a taboo subject, and anybody oh, who yeah. was Absolutely. talking about that was a weirdo. You know. Um, well, I, I did have a lot of dates uh, before I realized what was going on. I had a lot of dates in my teenage teenage years with guys getting up from the table and saying, "You're a witch," <laughs> because I knew so much about them. Uh, I always thought it was just because I was psychologically savvy. Oh. Uh, then I went to a reading, I think it must have been in my early 20s, I went for my first reading and I was floored by what this woman could do, that she was using a different method of thinking or of information gathering, let's say. And I said, that's it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning how to do that. Wow. And, uh, it yeah. didn't take too long, but I did 100 readings before I ever charged. My first charge was $20 and I shook all over. And the woman came in disguised. Wow. Because, yeah, yeah, so often people think, oh, they've looked, well, not back in the 70s, looking people up on the Internet. But, yeah, people don't want to give you any clues that. No, yeah. no, I still get that. Yeah, I think I, I think many of us are just skeptics by nature, even if we want to mm -hmm. believe, you know. So it's it's nice just for people not to know anything about you. And then you just do your, your thing. How about the medium part? Did that come right off the bat as well? Sure. I mean, now I can safely say that I never can do a reading. I can never get through a reading without the dead interfering with my program and my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but I love them, and they're so much fun, usually, usually. Or very often I find that if someone's in trouble or they're trying to reach someone who also is on the so-called other side, and they can't. So, you know, it's some work to put them together. Can that actually be done? Because I've had uh, plenty of people say, you know, I believe in life after death, but my dad died and he's never come through and I've never seen any signs and I don't really know what oh, to yeah. say to those people. Oh, yeah, I teach people. it all the time. It's one of the things, one of my core things that I teach is how to do this. Not a problem. It's just telepathy and everybody has that. Without telepathy, we wouldn't be alive. Wow. So... <laughs> There's so many things I want to ask, but I know you're the expert on you. Um, the title of this show is We Don't Die, and, and mostly our listeners are people that um, either have a fear of dying, have lost someone they love, uh, are faced with our own mortality. Do, can you share any stories with us um, just from your past and what you're up to, why you believe in life after death and that we don't die? 
Well, as a medium, it becomes rather obvious. You know, you can go into a so-called seance uh, with a certain set of expectations and find out you're entirely wrong. Okay. And all the information that you're getting is really either... You have to learn to focus uh, as a medium. You have to learn to focus in a slightly different direction than you do when you're working with a living. Okay. And uh, that takes a certain amount of practice and a certain amount of discernment. If you don't do that, what you're doing is picking up things about the dead person telepathically from the living. That's what most mediumship is doing. And learning to discriminate between those two methodologies is actually not, not so easy, but it can be done. Oh, yeah, you know, I never thought about it that way. Right, right. And Gary Schwartz asked me, do you know who he is? I know who he is, but I don't think Yeah, he's uh, one of the biggest researchers on mediumship and life after survival after death. He said, Julia, is it mostly telepathy? And I said, yes, yes, it is, Gary. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> you know what I've been doing, which has been, when I have a client who comes to me for uh, a seance of some sort, or just let's call it an after, afterlife reading, mm-hmm. um, my emphasis is, contrary to most mediums today, my emphasis is on what is going on with a dead person. What is he doing or she doing? Where are they? What kind of locale are they in? What sort of things are they uh, trying to resolve or explorations that they're creating? And I have been able to actually take clients into their world. Really? Yes. I mean, it is unbelievable into their constructions or uh, in... Not everyone can do it, and many clients pay me, so they feel that I should do all the work. But truthfully, the greatest benefit uh, with after-death communication is is when it's direct. The benefits then are uh, quite strong. You have reference points where you can return to that reference point and make after-death communication possible when you need to, not when you get to a psychic or waiting for a spontaneous encounter from someone who's passed. Well, that's just it. It's so easy to believe that the power is outside of ourselves. And I know people addicted to going to mediums just to connect right. them. And, right. and it's like, but they're they're around you, you know. So right. how, do, how do you, I mean, I'm jumping ahead um, because I know you teach this. Uh, you're I teach in, a lot of things, but this is one of the main things that I teach. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to be with you live to learn something or is it something no. that? No, no, I do. It, I do most of this through teleconferencing. In fact, it's better without without visuals. Concentration is deeper. It's more intense. Mm, very cool. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, do you hear my dog snoring? Yes. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, it makes it even more charming. What's your dog's name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peepsy. And Can't you be a little more quiet? You're and, a little piggy dog. And what's what kind of dog is it, or what's it like? King Charles Cavalier. Oh, I can picture that. You definitely. But more than not, he's the love of my life. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have bonds with our animals that are. Oh, unbelievable! Oh, channeling animals, nothing could be better. Oh, so talk about that. Yeah, and you, you know these animals just show up, and uh, people dimly wait a minute. I don't know a black cat, and then all of a sudden they'll start crying, and that was the cat they had as a child. It suddenly comes back to them, or they feel it. It's something else that I I work very hard uh, with clients, either when I see them face-to-face or over the telephone or over Skype, uh, for them to have the energetic experience of the presence of these stupid words, the dead. And, uh, And they do. They get it. 
and that is quite a quite a I was going to use some German words. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get mixed up here. That's okay. Uh, quite um, a signal for the presence because, you know, we keep thinking that the dead are over there and they're in this place called the afterlife, a total misnomer. Mm-hmm. They're not over anywhere. They're right here. There's no distance. There's no space. But there are things that flow back and forth from one dimension to the other, such as emotional energy, which is has to do also with enzymes and hormones, uh, certainly a tremendous amount of elect- electrical energy, which can be monitored. And we feel that not only in our bodies, but in our hearts. And um, sometimes when I, I work with, I have a class going in Vienna now, it's 24 people. And we worked with this woman who's in coma, who is really dead. You know, she's, she's out, she's gone. She's operating from a different dimension. But the, body the entire there. class just felt her presence. It was so strong that some of them fell over. I just keep getting flooded with goosebumps while we're talking. What's that's, that about? Well, that's it. <laughs> and I know there's somebody trying to get through to you because that started even before we started the interview. It, yes. it, yeah, and I've interviewed a lot of people and I've never had this constant feeling it's like all filled with goosebumps goes away filled with goosebumps goes away the more you talk just filled with yeah goosebumps. i keep getting it's a grandfather so i mean we don't i don't want to go there no it's okay that's all right we don't have to but it's just it's really interesting to me so when people feel goosebumps could that be that someone's trying to come through for absolutely others? no wow. it, is, it is exactly that mm. i remember once on the street of paris this woman an absolute non-believer in any of this stuff and when she and I had a mutual friend who died, and this friend was trying to reach her, and we're standing on the streets in Paris, I'm saying goodbye to her, I'm holding her hands, and suddenly her eyes tear up, her eyes pop open and tear up, and her mouth drops, and she goes, Julia, what's happening to me? What's happening to me? And I said, Gustav is trying to thank you. Oh. And from that moment on, she had communication with him. Both of them were artists. And this woman went on within six months of his death to have her first exhibit in Paris. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, from him pushing her. Yeah, so uh, even non-believers will feel it, absolutely. And another thing, for your particular audience, if you feel a strong wave of grief coming out of nowhere, it's usually because the person for whom you're grieving is right there. So if you can operate with the grief, just close your eyes, go still, see a picture of that person in, the, in your mind's eye as that person is now and wait, you'll start to get communication flow. Well, isn't that a great tool? Because I know yeah. when dad died, my dad died, the grief would just overcome me when I didn't expect it. And I wanted to turn it off and I was embarrassed by it because often I was in public. But to think instead of that, that ah, dad's with me, he's trying to come through. Like, wow. I mean, that's a, that's a real powerful tool. Yeah, it is. And it'll, the other thing about grief, too, is that we often, you know, many of us are obsessive grievers, and that's a whole other thing. I talk a lot about grief. I have some things on my website about it as well, because it's rarely just grief. Pure grief actually is strong, hits hard, and goes away pretty fast. There may be a kind of sadness that lingers uh, if someone's primary uh, person in your life, absolutely. But the real thing, um, Actually, you can recover from it fairly quickly. And what people do that that 
enhances the grief process, which yes. is awful. It's, they dwell on the last moments. They think about the mutilated body or the shriveled body in the hospital ward. Um, the dead don't really care about those moments too much. They don't, in fact, don't care about health in general very much. Uh, for those for those on the other side you talk to about their death scenes, usually the only reason why they'll do it is to comfort the people who are around their deathbed. Um, for them, it's like getting over a, a cold. It's, it's over. Because their health is restored. Sure. Usually, uh, maybe, usually, not always. Not Nothing that I, we can say about the afterlife can be generalized, generalized really. But if instead of dwelling on those moments, if you're feeling grief and sadness and this helplessness that goes goes with it, and the, um, stop, look for that person as that person is now, not as that person was, and not certainly as that person was at the time of death, but as that person is now. And usually you'll go into euphoria. I know what you're speaking of at, around Christmas time. Um, every year I see in my mind's eye my grandmother sitting on our couch while we're putting up the Christmas tree. I live with my aunt who's just a few years older than me. But Grammy is not the Grammy who died at 91. She's younger. She's got, you know, pretty hip clothing on. And it's always a big smile. And it's in that. And I don't even think I saw that grandmother, you know, because she she was around when I was a kid or even before I came along. So I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Are there any... If you're, if you're feeling sorry for yeah. yourself and thinking about, you know, this is, I, I can't lose her. I can't lose her. How could she have died? How could she have left me? All this kind of thing. And then you see her as she is now. All of that stops. That drama that we hold on to stops. Yeah. And, and even... it's a great tool for for immediately overcoming grief. Yeah. Even in the beginning when you were talking about uh often it's telepathy that you're tapping into but sometimes not and I, I remember having a medium tell me about uh, my aunt's uh, ex-husband who's who's deceased and gave me details to tell my aunt that like I didn't know so <laughs> there was no way that there was any tapping into me and that's uh, right yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty cool um have you what are some of the things you've heard about the afterlife because we'd all like to know that our loved ones are in a safe great place and i know you just said there's no generalities but um are there some great things we can look forward to or can be comforted that everybody's safe well we're always safe <laughs> whether whether we're going to get hit by a car or not we're still we're still always safe <laughs> that's really hard to learn it is. And we were so uh, manipulated by the fear of death and by this chronic um, uh, message that you're not safe, you're not safe, your body's a time bomb, you're living in a terrorist universe, your environment is poisoned. You know, we're constantly living with that, but we're really safe. We are indestructible. And this place that you call the here hereafter, I like that hereafter better than afterlife because it's well, like here. Yeah, but they're all wrong. I mean... Okay, let me give you an example. Okay. We, we think of it as a place somewhere. That's right. that's absolutely not true. Okay. Um, it's not a place, and it's not after anything. In fact, as we sit here now, we're already in the afterlife. Some part of us is already dead. Some part of us is already transcendent. But uh, more than that is the idea that all the dead go there. Well, that's also not true. 
it's not a repository for all the dead. In fact, it's actually mixed with other kinds of dimensions um, that bleed through or are actively interacting. And the whole idea of it being an afterlife, maybe it's better than what we had 50 years ago, but it's a far cry from what it really is, which is basically a state of consciousness that is in very high expanded state, very creative, uh, but again, not always. An awful lot of people die and don't move on very well. They don't learn. They can't. They can't maneuver. Um, usually, it has to do with repression, uh, something that's lack, lacking re reconciliation, something of that sort. But an awful lot of my work is helping people move through, and uh, so they can get to a, a, a freer space. People who die, for instance, with no belief in the afterlife, in angry no belief in the afterlife, will often stay in a kind of mist or a cocoon type of thing because they refuse <laughs> to believe it. Right. It's not, you know, and this is the angry sort of atheist type thing. The happy atheists do really well. Yeah. I, I've heard of people that have had medium readings and so-and-so never believed in God, I was an atheist, and you know now are just joyfully telling stories of how Absolutely. great it is. I can't believe it. This is the best. The one thing that is, impresses me is the return of, of mobility. You know, the, oh, people running and flying and skipping and just so excited that they, they have this endless motion. I keep laughing because I'm here in the dog store. I know. I love it. It's, it's so funny. It's just too much now. It's too much. <laughs> it's so... He's so tiny and he makes a massive amount of noise. It is so funny. Oh, <laughs> what, what should we talk about now? What would you like me to ask you? I don't even know where to go. You're just a wealth of so many things. <laughs> what is Well, what... I don't think, you know, I don't, I, I'm not a mainstream thinker by any means. I wasn't as an academic, still not as an academic. And, you know, I have, have come up with stuff that really people don't want to hear because there's different ways that reincarnation works, for instance, and mm -hmm. death and the body don't always go together. And in many cases, uh, consciousness will, will effectively die um, from our world and go into another state of consciousness. The body's still operating. That happens a lot, um, especially with advanced dementia cases. And uh, you see, actually, there are ghosts of people uh, walking, not, I'm sorry, they're not ghosts. Ghosts are different, but they, the uh, imprints or visualizations of, of the dead people even walking around their Alzheimer's bodies, for instance. People in coma, another, another situation. And um, at the same time, your body can be dead, but you're not. You've never made that shift in focus. You're still focused here, and then you don't go into any afterlife. You go into another body. That usually happens in, in cases of shock. Normally, in reincarnation, uh, a person goes in the afterlife, and that person stays in the afterlife. They don't leave the afterlife and come back and reincarnate into a new body. They stay that person. Sandra will stay Sandra, Julia will stay Julia, and we are in deep communication with all our other incarnations, some of which can be alive today, uh, even our future ones, which we can contact today. My class is doing that right now. And um, 
because we are we issue from in simultaneous time from an oversoul. So it's not a sequence thing, and it's not a thing where a person really vacates the afterlife and comes back and inhabits another body. It just isn't the way it works, except in cases of shock, premature deaths, murders, things of that sort, which are the cases that Ian Stevenson works with, mm-hmm. or his successor now. I, <laughs> my jaws just kind of dropped like, yeah, and people don't want don't want to hear. You know, we we don't want to know about the complexity of consciousness. But if you start really looking at it, it's it's. I have physicists in my class, and we have the most amazing time, actually having a palpable experience of reading waves, <laughs> and how this is all working with waves. And it's just. You know, interdimensional waves, doesn't matter where they're coming from, comes from the past, the future, or another planet. That's all it is, is waves. And since there's no distance, you got it. It's available to you. That, that too, is mind-blowing. When I first started hearing that time is an illusion, and, um, I mean, it really took something to get my head around that. And I'm not even sure I still do. So I think the things that you're talking about, like, it's just not easy to get because it's so outside of our normal thinking right you get used to it that's all yeah we've we've come from a place say so-called stone age mentality where time was more psychological or seasonal you know it was an experiential time and the worst thing that happened to us was wearing time on our wrists where we divide it up and, and separate uh, the experience of time, the inner experience of time, from the measurement of it. Hmm. And it's, it's caused a great deal of severing uh, between our ego selves and our inner selves. One, talk- more blow, yeah. one more blow. Could you talk a little bit about our ego selves? Because my ego self and i know a lot of people there's so much fear what what's that about in relationship to being human and do we you know any i know you speak about fear and the connection with the afterlife can you just anything that comes to mind in that do you mean including the ego yeah well the ego is the watcher it's there to protect the physical body the physical self and therefore it's uh, it can't believe anything in which it's the body's gone you know it's just not part of the ego's mentality okay but you can work with the ego and the ego ego does survive the ego doesn't go anywhere it survives it may not be totally dominant in the so-called afterlife but it absolutely no part of you dies nothing no part not a bit so it's all there and so is the ego but it's because of the ego, an ego-driven society that we're in, which is very materialistic, mm. neo-Darwinism, all that kind of stuff, uh, that we have more fear of death than cultures that don't have the same level of uh, ego-driven society. Oh, because I've heard of cultures that celebrate death and like how great and, you know, right. so over here we might be crying and mourning and we can't go on with our lives because so-and-so's gone. Right. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, but the fear of death is—it's uh, everywhere. It's in the health industries. It's in—it's uh, forget the media. I mean, how many times can you see uh, shootings and other ways of murdering people over and over again? Television or or in the news. 
oh, um, insurance companies, medicine, certainly pharmaceuticals, certainly even the way we teach is about death. I mean, even the way we do um, the history of man, you know, uh, the different ages, the Stone Age, the Copper Age, it's all about, it's all about um, uh, weapons. Hmm. How do we teach history from one war to the next? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's amazing how absorbed we are with, with death and the fear of death. Yeah. And it has us completely uh, bound, really. Right. And if we can break that, if we can break that, if we can know that we're immortal now, this whole world will shift massively. I would think so. If we really got that this is heaven on earth, if you want to put it that way, right. and that we are immortal, and you know, we're we're that right now with the illusion right. that that we end. I think right. I think we can put everything that goes happens in our life into context. Any problem that we have, any opportunity, just anything that we deal with, can all be. Um, for our education or do you, do you I'm stumbling over my words <laughs> I just like I want to go here I want to go there then I go totally blank what did you say oh but um yeah I just totally lost my train of thought oh here being as a human in human form um we have our five senses but what do you have any insight as to the why that we're here on earth experiencing in our bodies and um versus that we're just not all living in the afterlife for left, lack of a better term. That's a good question. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm doing a workshop this, this, this month on who are you, which investigates all of this, why you came here, why you chose these people, what your intermission, so-called intermission mm -hmm. things are about, your plans before conception. And then I take them into their death in this life to see what they've achieved. And in order to do that, they have to, they have to do many past lives, some of which are future, in order to get the entire reason for the individual specific reasons for why we're here. But in general, which is your question really, in general, I think that there are few dimensions that have this kind of experience, a few dimensions that are this tightly materialized. And there's a I could imagine that you would feel once you're out of out of body permanently that a real strong nostalgia for um, snowflakes. You know, me. The oh. beauty, the beauty that's here. Uh, we're we're here. We manifest. We create through our manifestations, and everything that we do doesn't have is not morally bound in, in a Darwinian sense on an evolutionary ladder that you get higher and you become more pure love and all that. It, it's really about an endless exploration of our own creations. So you can say you're on a journey as though the journey were pre-made or a prefab journey, but the truth is the journey is something that you're digging out as you go along. And each of us is doing that. Each of us is doing that with different perspective, a different slant, and with total, uh, a, a unique, um, unparalleled way. And what we don't accomplish in one body, we accomplish in parallel cells. We do. And in other incarnations, we'll pick up things that may have been of some intensity 
in a shared incarnation, uh, but you don't want to do it. You have other things you want to do, and somebody else will say, okay, maybe I'll run with that ball. I'll work, say, through murderous impulses. That should be fun. <laughs> but there, it's, it's actually what it is. What we do is actually rather neutral in the greater perspective. Yeah. There is a tendency toward benignity, but uh, if we understood our own innocence, I think that would be very helpful. And if we truly knew we never died, then... Right. Then we wouldn't be using so many death threats. Uh, that is true. You know, you mentioned snowflakes, and I find that I've talked to a lot of people, and there's part of me that says, oh, well, this one said this, and this one said this. Who's right? But as there are supposedly no identical snowflakes i think each one of us has a different journey and what might be true for one may not be true for another totally. and so there's no like cookie cutter way right. of okay when our body's gone then this 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 happens because no. you're, you're talking about some big concepts and it's like what you have me doing is like i, I want to learn more about that i want to learn more about that um I, i'm recording this on my computer and i really i want to go to your website and i want to look and i juliaasante.com anybody else that's okay. thinking exactly. about that right now well no because it is fascinating it, it really it is, is i mean reality is fascinating consciousness is unbelievably fascinating and and the flexibility of it is endless restless creativity of human consciousness mm, yeah. animals have it too but i don't not quite they're not quite as restless yeah we are restless animals uh, stones have it for heaven's sakes trees have it everything has it there's i have finally come to the conclusion and <clears throat> i work with a u.n physicist and he's really top of the line guy and I just adore him wow and we both i proposed to him i said electrons are conscious right they must be otherwise they would not be affected by consciousness Goosebumps. Yes, why not? <laughs> why not? So what we think of as innate or in, inanimate, no, no. In fact, we have a, um, tests that were done. I didn't make them, but D Dean Radin, uh, I think he's written about some of them, of, of baby chicks, and they don't have a mother. What they have is a robot hen Okay. that sort of goes around in circles. And these chicks are, are sequestered in, in a spot in the room, and this robot hen just sort of roams around, and they tape it and find that these baby chicks can influence the robot to come to them more often than chance, maybe several, maybe a million to chance, possibly. You know, that is just uh, the robot's just coming near them uh, by chance. So, I mean, if a baby chick or a group, small group of baby chicks can can influence a robot. What do you think we're doing? That's amazing. Yeah. I, I and now they have all these machines that are picking up the waveforms of thought and, being, and running them through computers so that people can use their arms again through robots and stuff just by thinking, I want to lift my left arm. The robot lifts the arm. I was on my on my iPhone, which I have, and I wanted to look something up, and I typed in, I think, two letters, and the thought that was on my mind, which was like probably five words, all of a sudden came up on the screen. Wow. And I, See? It, it blew my mind. I thought, and what, what are was we that? talking about? What was that? And, you know, and that's what it's going to come to. If we can, if what's happening right now is people have 
uh, you know, these magnetic impulses and they have a bionic arm and the arm moves. I mean, all that will be possible and it'll probably be just, oh, just regular how we do things. Um, yeah, I... but it's all about waves. It's all about waves. Neat. And then all of your perception is about waves. And no matter what it is, it's coming to you as, an, as, a, as electrical beats. So whether it's what we see, what we hear, what we smell. Right. What we think. Gee whiz. Yep. Yep. Very and we know that. That's a scientific fact. That's not a problem. But the thought that a computer can actually translate your thoughts by just using electrodes just is amazing to me. And translate them, uh, decode your thoughts, then recode them to command machines. I remember in my beginning of doing all this research about life after death, you know, I first thought, oh, it's just the crazies that believe in it. And, and then the more I got into it, the more mainstream people that I thought, wow, how come nobody's really talking about this? How come nobody's out there? And then I took a weekend course with physicist Russell Targ on remote viewing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was mind blown because, and even in my book, We Don't Die, I uh, paraphrase some of the things Russell Targ uh, does as to like how we can remote view and for our listener who hasn't heard me talk about it is really we can see into another time another space we can you know somebody's got something hidden in a box you can see details from it yes, and- I did a whole weekend on remote viewing it's really funny um, I, I couldn't believe what the class did you know 30% for professionals is supposed to be good they were hitting 100 100% yeah. my class the night I started uh, compiling the research, it's really getting into the uh, the military stuff. Russell Targ, by the way, did want to meet me. Of course. He my sister. So anyway, that's, that's kind of important to this cute little story. The moment I sat down to start reading this remote viewing material, I got a message that popped up in my, sh- my, my computer that said, Russell Targ just searched you. Oh, cool. I mean, there you go with the synchronicity. Yeah. But this is, this is again, this is about waves. It, you know, Russ, remote viewing is natural. We all do it. And it's terrific for trying to find a parking spot. Yeah. The, one of the things that, um, one of the reasons I share about it, because it's not really life after death, but as far as my book, if I can give somebody an experience of having a magazine in front of them that they've never even opened, and then they know what pictures are inside, you know, right. or whatever the exercise that I have them do, if it's just one of those experiences like, holy cow, if I could just do that, then oh, this whole world opens up that, yeah, of course, life after death could be possible. I mean, because it's you, you see, you're not just this body. We're so much bigger than this. Right. Or infinite. You can use certain techniques. There's slight, there, basically everything is remote viewing. If you're looking at your thumbnail right now, it's still really remote viewing. What do you mean? Well, there's no distance. So there's no, you know, it's always, you're always reading right waves. It's just a matter of where you focus them. That's all it is. And so there is a way of using it. Another thing that I, I teach is medical intuition, which is to read through a body, really and anatomically read it. Oh. No, I see yellow lights. I see a red light. I see, you know, none of that. Um, actual anatomical reading of a body. Um, what is wrong with the body usually lights up because the cells, when cells are in stress, they emit photons. And so that's what you look for, where it's lit up and then you focus Again, that's a remote viewing of a type. 
but you can actually see through things. You can see through using it. You can, you know, these things, these cards that you scrape off the silver just to get the lucky number underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to scrape it off. <laughs> and that actually, there's something about that that really has to do with what I call protobiological vision. That's the vision that the um, people who do out of body who are congen congenitally blind. Yeah. Uh, when they're out of body, they can see. Yeah, I've read. There, we have our that. senses actually have much greater applications, uh, and they're limited to our physical selves unless we try to broaden them. So we can have much greater uh, vision than we actually do than our eyes can carry if we use the protobiological vision, which I call the inner senses. And when people die, that's what they're doing. They're seeing 360 degrees, you know, in the future, in the past, all at once. Yep, another kind of mind-blowing thing that just left me blank trying to envision it, but can't. I'm sorry. No, don't go blank, Sandra. Don't, you really don't. Don't. In, don't uh, this is your world. Don't feel bad. It, what, it, what it does is, like, this is so much more fun to talk about than... Um, Oh, the weather or complaining about know. how the day, you know, past things were. I mean, this this is what gives obviously you joy in life and passion. And I love learning new things and being able to share. And and I want to. Yeah, I mean, what's the point otherwise, you know? Gosh. That's why I could never write about myself. I already, I already know it and it's boring. <laughs> well. You know, I have to keep going. I have to keep looking further and. And I have some big stuff that I want to accomplish before too long. And I think I'm going to be able to do it, too, at least some of it. One of them is to be able to prove life after death. I'd like you to do that. Well, I mean, can, you know, it can be done clinically without using mediums. No, no, you do use mediums, but not for communication. It's not about communicating. Because the problem was with being able to um, prove life after death with communication, there's so many limitations on that. You might be picking it up from something you already know. You might be picking it up right. from the living. You might be picking it up from something that you read. Uh, even they use even use possession as a, as a possibility. They're not. It's not the dead you specifically you're talking to, but you're possessed by someone who's alive. And um, so, I think the idea might be to drop using after-death communication, which has been the standard way of proving life after death, outside of near-death experiences, which don't prove anything, but um, to drop all of that and just try to prove it in terms of the, the energetics mm. so that get very, very wild when the dead show up. Wow. Well, I'll definitely keep in touch with you and watch what you're doing about that, because I think it's just fascinating. You know, I... I just recall, I went on a radio show myself, and um, I've done some uh, recordings of EVP, electronic voice phenomena. Oh, yeah. Are they fun? Yeah, they're very fun. And the man who was interviewing me, his radio show is all about UFOs and ghosts, and I thought, in all kinds of paranormal activity, and I thought, geez, this is right up his alley. You know, but then he's like, well, how do you know it's not just radio waves, or how do you know that, you know... Um, I even forgot what he was saying, but talk about mind reading stuff. And I'm thinking, if you're saying that we can read minds and there's ghosts and there's UFOs, like, why the heck can't our loved ones manipulate sound waves to have voices? Like, I just... Funny, isn't it? It's super funny. 
Yeah, I mean, they're our loved ones, the pastor. I mean, their their main way of reaching us is through electrical things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it makes sense that they would use electronic voice phenomenon or you know, trans dimensional intercommunication or whatever you call that now. I can't remember. Yes. Did you ever hear of George Meek? No. Oh, I met him back in the 80s. This is a man who's an engineer, uh, fairly wealthy, quit, put all of his money, incredible inventor, put all of his money into creating a machine, which I think we will have in about 200 years. They'll be quite common to make a bridge with the uh, afterlife. And he got <clears throat> two people from the other side who were unbelievable the amount of information they gave him. It took him seven years to track it all down. That's cool. But there was, and, and also trying to improve the machine. One of them over there was also uh, very engineer-oriented. And um, the dialogue, dialogue, real dialogue, was over the top. I heard it. And there was a medium involved, an unpracticed medium, who was the sort of the mechanic guy for Meek when he was doing this work. And without the without the medium, it didn't work at all. And in the you can get the patent for it free uh, through the internet, but no one has gotten it to work yet because duh, nobody realizes that a medium is the one that's going to be like the circuit. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, and we're all mediums, for God's sakes. That's that's the bottom line. We all are, but some of us just throw a bigger field than others. And when that field is thrown, more more manifests. <laughs> Dog snoring again. Um, <laughs> you know, he's in another room. It's so funny. Should I close the door? No, I love it. It just it's, it's just it's warming my heart. We're kind of closing in on the hour, but. Um, you know, you've mentioned a couple times manifesting, and I know there's a lot out there about the law of attraction and the secret and, you know, all these kind of things. But, you know, we all want to manifest things. And and I don't know why we all want things, but we, we do. Um, any insight on how manifestation works? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean... For one thing, it works according to your expectations more than anything else. Okay. That's where it goes wrong. But you've got a conflict about being successful, which is a typical American manifestation need. Um, those forces will will go in two different directions, and it won't you won't achieve it. So your expectations are probably your biggest uh, limitation or gift, depending on, on how genuine your expectations are for big things. Hmm. Or small things, which are just as nice. If we only understood that we are in a constant state of manifesting our bodies, and our bodies are only here half the time, they're going in and out of um, dimension. They just do. There's not one electron in your body from one second to the other that's the same. That's wild, really. Yeah, it is wild. And so you're pulsing constantly, pulsing. You're constantly making your body. No, and you, well, people may not believe that, but if you look at some of the research that's done on multiple personalities, which are, which is a very rare thing to have, and I think some of them actually are just more than one incarnation in the same body, but when the personality shifts from one personality to the other, to the other even diabetes can go away in, in seconds. I've heard that about vision. 
Yes, yeah, so the vision changes, eye color changes, yeah. There's so many different physiological changes with a change in personality. How can that be manifested within seconds? Because we come in every, the tiniest minuscule, millionth, gillionth, trillionth of a second, we're here and then the next one, we're not. It's like a, going in and out of a virtual reality. You know, I love that we're talking about these things because, you know, I've, I've, I approach things first as a skeptic before I <laughs> will let That's any... the best. Yeah. Absolutely the best. But it, it's autopilot. And I think many of us do. And so many people that have hard time believing in life after death, um, like it just can't happen, you know. But it's like, look at this miraculous world that we're, we're living in. It, it's so hard to really get that we are living in the like everything we see is is a miracle i mean or it's just when you really get down to it's all made up of energy everything right and what's inside of an, an atom you know vibrating energy you know it's you know what i'm getting at you know it's Absolutely. it's hard I mean, to if 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 you got reduced somebody really nasty reduced you to um only the solid aspects of you the solid particles of you you would be like a small pinpoint that's all there would be and even that i think they'll find out that the things that they see in the nucleus that they consider solid will not be once they get that fine uh, measurement going yeah and i and i just really encourage people to like soak that in the fact that if you have questions that something can't be possible um, gosh, look at everything that is like we, we really, even our vision, most of us have no idea how it is possible that we really even do see, but take, or a, look, take a step or, or any of it, right. Or Chew. breathe, or just the fact that, you know, every so often it's, you know, I think here we're just all these little self-contained units that we have our, our heart, our battery that continuously gets recharged. I mean, that's even awesome. The miracle yeah. of birth and conception. Right. Oh, that's all miraculous. Right. It's all miraculous. Oh, well, and it'd be wonderful if we saw it that way. Death is miraculous. One of the, the, the greatest achievements in a person's lifetime is the dying. Just gorgeous stuff. Really? Yeah, the coordination that goes on. It's just oh, so many people tell me their stories of the, you know, dying someone dying in the family and all the miracles that happened, all the coordinations that went on and it's just breathtaking. Yeah. Well, I think somebody put it this way too, because there can often be a lot of suffering around death, but then there's also... There'd be, be a lot less, Sandra, if we had less fear of it. The, either, even the pain wouldn't be there, really. Because we would accept it, right? Yeah. We wouldn't fight. Yeah. Like an animal. Just sort of go quiet and let it happen. Yeah, I heard somebody say the other day that something like 90% of our healthcare dollars is spent on people in their just their last months of life. Yeah. Isn't that horrible? We fight to hang on and we have this fear. And death is a failure. It's the ultimate failure, right? Yeah. 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 And, and it's embarrassing when you start, when you get a disease, you know, you fail, you're failing. Wow. My, my biggest gift, if I could give it to everyone, even myself, is uh, to not fear death and to actually be excited that we've and look back on our life, that we really played full out. Like we went for it. We learned as much as we could with these bodies and minds. And now it's like, you know, we're getting on an airplane to go to a great new destination. 
and and be excited by it you know not want to get there too soon i mean be here as fully present while we're here but to know that it's nowhere near the end there's just so much no more. there isn't any end oh god never stops wow i love the saying there's some you're never more dead than you are now oh say that again <laughs> you are never more dead than you are now i'm writing this is down. it this is about as dead as you'll ever get <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah it's yeah it's a little uncomfortable to hear but i think it's funny I think it's great. Well, yeah. yeah, the uncomfortable things are good, though. There's a, I think it's a Buddhist um, practice. I'm not sure of there's some some meditation of really uh, visualizing your own death, and it, the more and more and more you visualize your end, it it does two things. You know, it it helps you when the time actually does come to not be afraid, but also it makes you think about what you still haven't done here, what you need to do. And, right. you know, I think when we've got our integrity all sorted out and we've had mm-hmm. conversations and we've gone after our dreams and we can live fully now, I mean, we can, it's just, it, right. it's not a I bad thing. actually do that with, uh, in workshops. I have a workshop called Living Your Death. Wow, great. And it's amazing what people know about themselves once they place themselves on the deathbed and look back and you see all the places that fear, insecurity kept you from being who you really are, your authentic self, kept you from loving, kept you from taking risks, kept you from using talents. It's, it tells it all, it really does. I that love moment. that. Well, yeah. Julia, any final words before we close the show? Any last bits of inspiration I you want to throw up, throw out, I said throw up. Um, yeah, no, just any <laughs> anything comes to mind that you want to leave people for the rest of the day, something to think about perhaps um i think just be in the magic the magic that you're creating and you always will create and your creations and your explorations will never stop and be happy about that your influence has no limits oh that's great thank you Thank, Thank you. you so much. It's been fun. Thank you. And to our listener, you've been listening to We Don't Die Radio with me, your host, Sandra Champlain. And we have been talking with Dr. Julia Asante. And you can visit her website at juliaasante.com. Or like I said earlier, go to we don't die radio.com And I'll have a link to all of her sites, her Facebook and their Twitter and all those kind of things. And um, as a reminder, I do believe with all my heart that um, we don't die, that life is an education for our soul. Our life here on earth is important. And in the words of Julia, you're never more dead than you are right now. I love that. And be in the magic. I mean, if you look back, like, this is it you know what else do you want to do um spread your wings go for it fear is an illusion make things happen and just really enjoy your life so again this is sandra champlain thank you for listening and we'll see you soon